Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, March 11, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and we will start this midweek episode with the biggest news in the sport, coronavirus. Yes, the virus is dominating college basketball headlines. It is 12.07 a.m. Eastern at the time of this recording. Here's what we know right now. The Ivy League has canceled its tournament in a controversial manner. The MAC has decided to hold its tournament, but with no fans. The Big West has decided to hold its tournament, but with no fans. Meantime, the governor of Ohio is asking that all indoor events in the state be conducted without spectators. This is notable because um, the first four is scheduled for Ohio next Tuesday and Wednesday. And late Tuesday night, the Seattle Times reported that the governor of Washington is expected to ban gatherings of more than 250 people, including at sporting events, starting Wednesday in certain parts of the state. Bottom line, it appears we've never been closer than we are right now to a spectatorless Division I NCAA tournament game. Norlander, coronavirus is disrupting our country, including the sport of college basketball, more and more by the day. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised it's gone this far? Do you think it'll go farther do you think we're really heading for a spectator-less NCAA tournament? Parrish, I do. And I have moved aggressively on that stance in the past 36 hours. This is when I see a world power like Italy going on lockdown and you have experts in the field saying, you know, this is the path. Italy, just to name one, uh, was on and we might be three weeks behind it. Um, if you want to stop and not, if you want to stop what's happened in Italy where the, where the country is on lockdown. Okay. If you want to stop that, you need to eliminate mass gatherings basically everywhere to reduce the spread of coronavirus. Now you and I, although you have played a doctor on this podcast in the past, we are not doctors. Okay. And we are not experts in this field. So I'm going based off of a lot of what I see with, with experts and scientists out there. But as we record this early Wednesday morning, you know, I'm supposed to go in Thursday morning to cover the Big East tournament uh, on Thursday and Friday and the Atlantic 10 as well. But I can already tell you, like, I, th- I don't know if I'm going to do that. I haven't decided yet. But if I do, whereas before I would have taken uh, I would have taken a lift to go to the train station and then I would have taken the train station into Grand Central and then I would have taken the subway to my hotel if I go in now, just as a precaution, I will drive myself into Manhattan, pay whatever I have to pay to park the car there, and I think I'm close enough that I can actually walk to Madison Square Garden. I don't know if I'll even go to Barclays Center because I don't want to take. The, I don't want to. I don't want a chance exposing myself, particularly. And I know this is the elderly are the most vulnerable, and they're actually it's it, the, children are not at risk. When you're a parent, you don't care about that. So I don't want to even chance 
catching it and bringing myself into an environment with my own family. You know, I'm due to be in studio for CBS Sports HQ this weekend, Saturday, and Selection Sunday. And when you see this much movement already, the NCAA sent out different statements within four and a half hours of each other on Tuesday, Parrish. And when you have states that are now, Ohio is asking, we'll see if that's an ask or a mandate within 24 hours. Washington State is already mandating in certain parts of the states. Now, it's not Spokane yet. Spokane has a first weekend site. But the MAC, no fans in GPI don't have this in front of me. It's I, It might be the same build or the same city that they have the first round of the tournament there. And you got Dayton as well. So I think that we're getting there. I spoke with a number of people just casually in college basketball throughout Tuesday. And they are preparing for this. It is a last resort. It's a logistical nightmare. My own, my youngest brother and his friends booked plane tickets eight months ago to go to the Tampa site, you know? So in terms of refunding tickets, plane tickets, all that, like it's just, it is, and this is one of many, many things, okay, obviously. But when you see the spread continuing, New Rochelle is about, GP, it's about 50 minutes southwest of me. It is actually the most, it is the densest uh, spot in the country right now for coronavirus contamination, okay? So whereas it started in Seattle, there are there is no higher density of cases right now than actually in New Rochelle, New York. And so that is going to have an impact. Um, and we'll see if it actually has an impact on the big tournaments. We've heard a- the ACC, and I'll throw this back over to you, but I've been literally thinking, I knew we'd talk tonight. I didn't write about it. I've been thinking about it all day, and I've been talking about it all day with some folks. Like the ACC tournament was held on Tuesday, and fans were in the stands. Uh, the other leagues, the big leagues, are, are planning to do that. We'll see if anyone else changes at the last minute. And then there's the, the I don't know if it's hypocrisy, GP, but like if you're not going to allow media access, what's the difference between that and players bumping up against each other? Fans are in the stands. I, I don't even know. We don't even have to go down that road. But uh, it's going to be a very interesting Wednesday, and I would think we would have answers on the NCAA tournament by Thursday night at the latest because they got to let people know like that have – these travel accommodations already set up. Like they, they got to get ahead of this. They're going to hold off as long as they, they possibly can. Do you expect, like I am now expecting, I think it's more likely than not, that the first weekend at least of the NCAA tournament will be held in venues that do not have uh, ticket-buying customers? Yes. Um, I mean, listen, as you point out accurately, I have played a doctor on this podcast, and I sometimes do like to think of myself as a doctor, but if we're being serious about a serious topic, I'm not a medical official, but I am somebody who listens to medical officials and I read what medical officials are saying. And I'll just keep this as simple as possible. Um, if we live in a country where college campuses are literally shutting down and big corporations are telling their employees not to come to work, Google is telling its employees not to come to work. You work from home. It seems insane to then play basketball games and say, 18,000 people, let's come get together. Like It's just like it runs counter to the way our country is operating right now. And I know that sports is important to some people and matters a lot, but um, if we can't – if we've reached a point where medical officials are advising university presidents to shut down classes, to prevent gatherings – where Google is consulting with medical officials and they're saying the smartest thing to do right now is not have your employees gathering, not have your employees come to work. So literally Google is telling people do not come to work tomorrow or for the foreseeable future. 
then it seems really arrogant slash reckless, irresponsible to, if you're the NCAA, go forward um, by asking people from all different parts of the country to travel to one place and then sit inches away from each other mm-hmm. in a 15,000, 18,000-seat arena. I know that they didn't want to go there, and I know that they're still probably holding out hope that they won't have to, but it seems more likely than not, I think that's the safest way to put it, more likely than not at this point that, yeah, um, we're going to get to that point because um, you know, two days ago nobody thought we would be where we are. And the NCAA tournament, the main bracket, doesn't start until next Thursday. Right. There's still time, a significant amount of time between now and then. And everything I've read says suggests that, yeah, the world's not going to end, we don't think. But it is going to get worse before it gets better. And if it gets worse before it gets better, given where we're at in the calendar, I just can't imagine we look up next Thursday and you're watching filled arenas and NCAA tournament games. It's going to be so weird. Um, so I, I anticipate on being there in Albany at one of the sites. And, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, we actually uh, we got a mailbag at the end of this episode, but I did get a quick question right before we started podcasting um, where uh, a user, Sylvester, said, if there are no fans in the stands, do you think that actually impacts the number of upsets we'll see? That's a good question. I, I don't know if the lack of people in the building will have any sway one way or another versus how lower-seeded teams will play, but it will be one of the dynamics that is in play if we don't have people in the stands. A couple things, GP. One, you're already seeing, and there's been so many stories it's hard to keep up, but the Golden State Warriors were advised on Wednesday night to not have fans in the Chase Center they said, we're good for now. We're still going to allow this to happen. If the NBA, I don't know who's going to go first. There, a league is going to make this decision first. It could be the NBA, could be the NHL. Baseball is outdoors and still in spring training. Um, not to say that it can't or wouldn't do it, but it's not quite the same thing. Uh, and then the NCAA tournament, those are the those are the three major ones at this point. If you want to toss in like the XFL, I guess you can. But again, that's outdoors. If the NBA, if we see Adam Silver put out a statement on Sat, if nothing has happened by Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, and the NBA does it, I think within hours, if not within the hour, the NCAA would follow suit. Even though the revenue generate uh, revenue generating machine that is the NCAA tournament is much more significant then it's not a small thing that if the, if the NBA went to no fans and arenas and said, for the next seven days, minimally, we're going to do this. But um, when you see the Indian Wells Tennis Tournament shut down uh, and canceled, a major sporting event, in part because of, and I was reading this, because of the area where that is, there are there is a higher population of elderly. And so, again, for the people that want to attend these tournaments, and they, I, I know we have who knows how many listeners to this podcast that are looking forward to going to the conference tournaments and then potentially even the NCAA tournaments. You want to go. You're 18, you're 24, you're 47. You want to go. But the point is, with the way that this virus can be spread, you can put vulnerable people at risk and the issue exacerbates itself when you have crowds of tens of thousands of people that center around each other. Yeah, maybe you will get sick, maybe you won't, and maybe you can uh, go with it for seven days and then you're going to be fine, but that's not the point. We are trying to stop the spread so that the vulnerable don't become infected even against their own will. I, I, I'm not even 
convinced that we won't get to a point where some of the conference tournaments that have started or are about to start won't change their policy by the end of the tournament. Uh, you know, I just it's a it's a weird one, man. This is an this is an all timer can't predict it kind of story, and it goes to show you just how much um, damage something like this can do. I coincidentally. Like six months ago, there's a great show on Netflix called Explained, and it's got two seasons, and I think it's in the first season. They've got an episode dedicated to pandemics and how uh, the human race is actually in some ways not prepared for situations just like this. Now, it seems to be getting under control in the countries that have, have actively tried to do something about it. But the concern is that the United States hasn't been as active with this GP. And so one of the best ways you can do that is to say no more fans in arenas um, that's a tough, tough call. I have to close with this. If you are to do that, it is just it is it is such a significant move where you have economies across the country that are taking huge hits. South by Southwest gets canceled, and that was kind of the first, I think, major one where people went, "Whoa!" And then the Indian Wells tournament gets canceled. Whoa! We wait for the next shoe to drop. This was the NCAA statement earlier on Wednesday. It's last one. The NCAA continues to assess how COVID-19 impacts the conduct of our tournaments and events. We are consulting with public health officials in our COVID-19 advisory panel who are leading experts in epidemiology and public health and will make decisions in the coming days. That was, I'm not going to read you the prior one, but that was an update to one earlier in the day. And to me, that signals that things are getting more serious here. I think you and I hope we're, hope we're both wrong. And that this country is in a spot where it can hold these games and have people there and not have all these fears. But Tuesday alone kind of swayed me, GP, as to how fast this whole thing is moving. Yeah, and the stupidity connected to it, uh, you know, is is just frustrating because, you know, all you do is tweet things like the Ivy League has canceled this tournament or the MAC is doing this, the Big West is doing that. And immediately you've got all these, like for lack of a better word, idiots who are insisting this is all unnecessary because it's quote-unquote just the flu. Like, medical officials have decided this is not just the flu. Medical officials have decided this is a serious thing. Like, why you on Twitter would think you know more than the doctors who are actually making these decisions is incredible to me. But there's no shortage of people. And the thing you pointed out I think is important for people to realize um, first and foremost, because you get all these like, – there's these graphics and these these morons love to tweet graphics at you. They don't have their own words, but they can retweet a graphic right at you all the time. And so it's like this many flu cases, this many coronavirus cases. Like uh, are we going to you know, start shutting things down because of the flu? <clears throat> it's not the same thing. And most importantly, we don't know how many people have coronavirus right now. Correct. It's like testing is inadequate it's a major issue right now that's right like, yeah like, so when you say things like well there's only x amount of confirmed cases that doesn't mean there's only x amount of people carrying that virus right now we have no idea literally no idea how many people are carrying around that virus and it's not just that i could get it or you could get it or a 22 year old college student could get it what the studies show to the extent we know anything about this is that if a healthy 22 year old um, is it is becomes a confirmed f uh, case of coronavirus? That person is probably going to be fine, but while that person is carrying that virus, it can be passed off to a 75 year old who might not be fine, mm -hmm. and therein lies the issue. You will carry the virus. You you will show 
perhaps very few symptoms. You know, you might cough a little bit, run a little fever, and then ultimately shake it in a matter of days. But if you then pass it on to somebody who is more vulnerable, an elderly person, um, that's that you know that that's a bad bad thing, or at least it could be a bad bad thing. And by the way, we've reached a point in this country mm-hmm. where if a politician comes in contact with somebody who subsequently tests positive, that politician is quarantined. Like that's happening right now. And if that doesn't tell you how serious this is, then I, I, I can't help you. Like we are in a really unusual time right now. And while I'm not advising people to go out and load up on Lysol and toilet paper and, you know, all of these other extreme things that you're seeing, uh, anybody trying to compare this to just the flu is an absolute moron. Yeah, and and by the way, the mortality rate uh, far outpaces it right now with the data that we have, which is also an issue. There is no you get the flu shot. There is no coronavirus shot right now. You know, there's just a lot of issues. Um, I'm aware that a lot of people are going to listen to this podcast late Wednesday morning, even in Wednesday afternoon, and there could be there's probably going to be a lot more out there even from what we can address now. But I also say the New York City Half Marathon has been canceled. You have UCLA and USC, which are banning fans from attending any kinds of sporting events, and I think you're going to get more and more of that. You are seeing colleges across the country uh, implementing uh, study from home online class only for the foreseeable future. And I'm talking like into April here. So if college campuses are instituting that kind of ban on person to person interaction, that is going to nudge up or bump up or slam up against the idea that you have 18 to 22 year old student athletes putting themselves potentially in harm's way in the name of more than just playing a game. I get that, but you can easily see how um, schools, programs, the NCAA itself could be ripe targets for for criticism. And uh, you know, with that, you know, the one thing we haven't gotten to here, GP, is what we've talked about here is a bit different from what the Ivy League did that kind of got the news cycle roaring on Tuesday when it when it just decided to outright cancel its postseason tournament. Yeah, um, that's obviously the biggest headline of the day because they decided to go a step further than, say, the Big West went or the MAC went. Uh, you know, I, I suppose playing without fans was an option, same way it's an option with the Big West and an option with the MAC that, that those leagues are um, – are going to to uh, to use, uh, but the Ivy League uh, just canceled the whole thing. Yale's going to get the auto bid to the NCAA tournament, and Penn, Harvard, and I believe Princeton, um, the other three teams that were scheduled to compete for the Ivy League's automatic bid in a four-team tournament, um, their season is over. Do you understand it, or? Are you disappointed with the league's leadership the way some coaches and players in that league are clearly disappointed with the league's leadership? Well, I do think that there is the possibility that we could look back in two weeks or four weeks and say the Ivy League got it right when it opted to do this the way it did. Remember, uh, or remember, you know, in case you aren't aware, the governor of Massachusetts declared a state of emergency 
because of the coronavirus, and that came shortly after the Ivy League made the decision it was making. Harvard was actually due to host this season, which is it's a bitter pill for Harvard because it's a, it's a good team, and Yale's been the best team, but it, Harvard's been very close in recent seasons. You figure maybe it's on its home court. It's going to get it, and it gets just ripped out from under them. The students have since... The Ivy League players have since started a petition that's just going to not going to amount to anything. Um, I don't quite understand. First of all, the Ivy League in the past has decided uh, in relatively short order where it could have its one-game playoffs in seasons in which that applied. I don't see why that couldn't still be the case here. Um, and I, I, th- I think it was a bit too strong right now but again we could come to find out that like that was the decision that was the right one after the fact I don't know I thought it was a bit too harsh you're pulling an opportunity away from but I also think this GP this was only the third year of the Ivy League playoff and I think because of one the uh, how the league powers view basketball in general which is not as emphatically as I think a lot of Ivy League fans would like, and the fact that for 90-plus years you didn't have an Ivy League playoff and this is only a two-year thing, that's why they were more comfortable doing it um, than anyone else. I don't anticipate we'll have any other conference do what the Ivy League has done unless we literally have some sort of major news event between now and Friday morning that mandates it. You know, um, But what were your thoughts when you saw that that happened and you saw guys like Bryce Aiken of Harvard, who, by the way, is transferring out, uh, criticizing it for what you know for what the league did, taking away the opportunity and giving Yale the automatic bid? I guess um, my first thoughts is that I'm disappointed for the coaches and the student athletes because, I mean, they just had a dream ripped away from them. I mean, like, you know, the the Penn players woke up this morning on Tuesday morning. And they were preparing to to play a basketball game. And whether they could get there or not, this was still true. They were two wins away from the NCAA tournament. And then you're told, oh, you're not only two wins away from the NCAA tournament. You're done. Your career's over. Mm-hmm. For the seniors, your career's literally over. Right. Like, think about how unique that is to sports. To find out that your career is over in a in a meeting with your coach while you're healthy and you still had games on the schedule. Like that's not a normal thing. Yeah. Like I, I remember, and I, I, I know I often like compare like my sports memories to like what we're talking about. And I don't mean to compare them apples to apples. I recognize I wasn't a division one athlete, but I was a high school baseball player. And I remember how, you know, like it, I knew when I pl- when I made my last out, I knew when that game was over that I was never playing baseball again. I knew that that was it. And I remember like I played baseball my whole life, like since I was four years old. And suddenly I'm 18 years old. So do the math on that. And now I know it's over. But at least going into the game, I knew that if we lose this game, then it's over. And then, you know, we did what we did and we lost the game and then you, it's over and you process it. You know, that that's the way most people's stuff ends. I can't imagine, because I thought about this today, if on the morning of that game or two mornings before that game, our coach sat down and said, oh, by the way, um, we're not going to play in the third round of the state playoffs. Um, this season is over. Your career is – your high school career is over. It's like, what? Like, hey, you, we don't even get a chance to go out and try? Like, it ends – it really ends like this in a meeting, in a dugout? On a on a Tuesday morning, and that's essentially what happened to 
to those Ivy League players this morning. So, I mean, like, yeah, my heart breaks for them. I understand why they'd be frustrated and disappointed. And I understand why they don't understand why this is happening to them when it's not happening to SEC players, when it's not happening to Big Ten players, when it's literally not happening to any other players in the country at this moment. And I can also see why it's frustrating when, you know, like the Penn lacrosse team is going to play this weekend, but the Penn basketball team season is over based on a decision made by um, the Ivy League presidents. So I get it. Like, I, if I were them, I'd start the petition. Um, but I will say when I posted about this on Twitter, somebody asked me, well, why couldn't they just play with no fans the way we subsequently found out the Big West is going to play and Mac's going to play? And when I retweeted it, I just said, hey, that, that's a fair and obvious question. But I do think it's important to remember these are smart people by definition, like brilliant people, Ivy League presidents that are making these decisions um, in accordance with medical officials. And I'm just going to assume that it crossed their mind. Like I'm just going to assume when they got together, somebody said, well, is it, could, could we just do it without fans? And they decided not to for whatever reason. But that is on that. That's for them to say. But I'm confident, like that occurred to them as a possibility, because it occurs to everybody else. And reading more about this and talking more about it throughout the night, their their rationale is this: because the question becomes, why can an Ivy League lacrosse match happen or game, whatever lacrosse does, games or matches? Why can a lacrosse event happen this weekend, but the Ivy League tournament had to be canceled? And their answer is this. If we're doing a lacrosse event, it's it's one team against another. You know, you're bringing one team to somebody else's campus. It's a it's a it's small-ish amount of people, and it's not perfect, but it it is just that. What they were about to do with the Ivy League tournament is bring eight teams to a college campus. Uh, it, men's four and women, women's, right? Yeah, four men. And when you add up everybody that comes with those teams, coaches managers, support staff, everybody. The Ivy League presidents concluded that is creating a large gathering on a single college campus, which is exactly what we've decided we're not going to do. It's why lots of these Ivy League schools are canceling classes quick, you know, soon, relatively soon. So they're com- I don't know that they're comfortable with anything, but they're willing to let one game happen here or one game happened there. But the idea of eight teams converging on one campus all at the same time um, passed a threshold that they weren't willing to pass, and it ultimately led to, to, to this decision. Now, you can agree with that or disagree with that. I, I won't tell you what to think, but clearly they were working in accordance with medical officials, and I will say that if they've set the threshold at a certain number of people, whatever quote-unquote large gathering means – I do think the rationale, though, can be frustrating for coaches and players. I do, I do believe it's at least backed up by, you know, by some consistency. Like this is a small thing; we'll let that happen. But this tournament, men's and women's, would have been a much bigger thing, and we're not having big things on campuses right now, so the tournament could not happen. Like I, I again, understand the frustration of the players and coaches. I also kind of understand why they reached the decision they reached. 
campus as being the big word because what you have here is Yale now being effectively cleared to go play in the NCAA tournament and putting that team, uh, you know, exposing it to potential risk there, you know. So the, so the Ivy League could be criticized for some hypocritical critical action here where it's like we can't have Yale and other teams playing in in the Ivy League tournament, but, you know, once you once you go into that out into that jungle that is wherever – uh, region, whatever pod you're going to go to, Yale, like, good luck to you. See, I see why people might have yeah, but, but, that, but that is it. That is exactly it. It's like we don't want – we have decided as institutions yeah. we're not going to have large gatherings on our campuses. So this has got to be canceled. I guess you could argue if you wanted to just keep arguing, why couldn't you move it all off campus then and play it somewhere else? And, and maybe that's a reasonable question. But I will say I was confused by it initially when I read the explanation – I can still understand why somebody would disagree, and I can still understand why a coach or a player would be frustrated, disappointed, even angry. But after I read the explanation, and then you you line it up with their approach to what's happening on campuses right now, anyway. If I'm being honest, I go, okay, like I I get it. I don't know that I agree with it, but I I do understand it. Uh, by the way, while all of this is happening on Tuesday night, our friend Dan Walken at USA Today wrote a column, and he actually suggested that the NCAA should do um, a very tough thing to do, but that it should cancel the NCAA tournament completely. Not just play with no fans, mm-hmm. but cancel the NCAA tournament. Do you think that's even on the table at all? Right now, absolutely not. But I do think... I'll I'll make this prediction. How about this prediction? Sure to go wrong. The 2020 NCAA tournament's final four will be played. I don't even know the name of it in the Hawks' home arena, unless there are contracts that the NCAA. Oh no, ca- no 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 no! It'll be played inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium next to the Hawks' home arena. That's just absurd. If there's not going to be fans in attendance, what's even the point? Oh, I thought you really didn't know that it was supposed to be played at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You now think we're just going to move it to a small place. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Why would you not move it to a smaller venue? It would be uh, – It would. and again, and, pro- unless like there the, are the contracts act, in place act, you cannot back out of, it would be an all-time absurd spectacle if you actually had the teams playing inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium with a total of 274 people inside. Well, I – like the answer might be they've already got a court built for a dome. Well, they they do already have a court built for a dome, but that doesn't mean they can't play on a on a regular court to begin with. It just you know, I'm actually an old school softy when it comes to trivia time. Okay, let's go. Last time the Final Four was played in a traditional basketball arena, what year? 1996. You got it, my buddy. What's what uh, what state? What city? New Jersey. Yes. Where the Nets used to play. Yeah, yes, East Rutherford. And East who beat who in the title game? Kentucky mm-hmm. beat. Yep. I, I beat UMass in the Final Four. Okay. And then who did they beat in the championship who, who game? Who did they beat was in the it, championship was game? It, was it Utah? No, that's 98, my buddy. But who did they beat? I don't remember that. Mr. Wallace... Syracuse. What was the score? Oh, God. I don't know. Four to three. Well, you're a little off. 76-67. 
Well, I, just have, I just have this stuff in my brain. Could have been four to three if Kentucky played a little better defense. Last time the Final Four was in a traditional basketball arena. Um, if you're ever going to have a, an opportunity to go back, this is this is basically what has to happen. Now again, unless there are certain contracts that say no matter what, you know, you're playing it here. If we're going to get to a point where there aren't going to be fans and they have to do that, then you should absolutely move it to. Um, well, first of all, what do we <laughs> – Let's just play it. Why don't we play it at Georgia Tech's practice facility? <laughs> well, I'm, uh, uh, I have played a Final Four media pickup game there in the past. Let's and... just see if we can get Josh Pastor to open up the practice facility and we'll go play <laughs> the Final Four. Uh, I'm not opposed to that. But uh, what is – so Atlanta – what is the – what's the name of this Atlanta Hawks arena? What is this spot? State Farm Arena. State Farm uh, Arena. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm not I'm not good with that. So, like, as far as I'm concerned, it's uh, did John Conkac play for Atlanta? I, I I can't remember if that was the thing or not. But we got we should just name that arena after. I'm pretty sure John Conkac played for the Hawks. So that's that's John Conkac Arena, and that's where they should move it to. But um, yeah, I don't I it would take something drastic. You'd have to have uh, confirmed cases with players probably to cancel it. I don't I don't think that we are headed there. It's not impossible. It's not inconceivable. But that would be obviously disastrous for the NCAA. Um, do you like? I'm, how about how about this, GP? Like, what percentage would you put on that right now? That the NCAA tournament, in some capacity, maybe not even if entirely, but in some capacity, gets canceled. You have you have games canceled in the bracket. I I think it is like the total last resort. That's obviously the last resort. I mean, somebody would have to tell them you have no choice. You must do this. They will not do that willingly because here's the truth. If you have no fans at these games, you do lose live gate, concessions, souvenirs, parking. It takes a massive hit on the local economy, hotels, Huge. Uber, yes. Lyft, rental cars, restaurants, bars. It's, it's, it's a massive hit. But you still get that Turner and CBS money as long as you put some games on TV. You know, nobody cares if they're fans. If you put them on TV, people still watch them, bet on them, fill out brackets. They'd still be a television product as long as the games happen. So as the, the overwhelming majority of the money is tied up in TV. So they want to play these games. And they, they, that's why I think they'll be willing to play them without fans as long as they can play them. So I don't think it's a likely option, but I'm not taking it off the table. Dude, Italy is shut down right now. Oh. All right? You can't, you can't, you're not allowed to go anywhere in Italy. So, and that's a first world civilized, wealthy country, and you're not allowed to go anywhere anymore. So I'm not ruling anything out. And I will say when Wolken wrote the column, when I just read the tweet, I was like, nah, this isn't going to happen. But I will say when I read the column, he made some very reasonable points. And one, one of the points is this, if, um, you know, right now we, we are living in a time where if you are confirmed coronavirus, they want to quarantine you. Right. That, that, that like that's the way this is working. OK, so I just went and looked at Jerry Palm's latest bracket earlier tonight. He's got Duke Little Rock got, as a first round. Uh, I was going to say, does he have a coronavirus first four out? Uh, the first four in. At first four point. in. OK. All right. Sounds the, coronavirus is very much. Corona, the, coronavirus so, is climbing up the seed lines. OK. Yeah, it, no, it could be a, one seed cor- in a short time. Yeah. Coronavirus has been stacking quad one wins <laughs> on top of each other. Like, we spent a lot of time talking about Mick Cronin, the GOAT, Pac-12 coach of the year, by the way, um, that's turned the, 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 the last couple, couple of months he's had. It is nothing. <laughs> 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 well, well, 
People talk about how like you don't want to you you know what you don't want to face this team in the NCAA tournament. Like you don't want to face coronavirus. It is the all-time example of you don't want to face that in March. You don't want to you don't want to see that in your bracket. By the way, that was um I've had a cough for about a week. And I know that that raises alarms, but I don't have any of the other um symptoms. Like I don't have a fever. I'm tired, but I'm always tired, so that doesn't really make sense. Um but I do, I do have a cough, and that happens sometimes. What just happened to and me? It freaks people and out I, around you, doesn't it? It freaks people out. Like it, free, I, like I notice people looking at me. Like I feel bad. I get into an Uber here in DC. They've got confirmed cases here, and um, you know I'm coughing in the back seat. I just know the Uber driver is like, "Oh no, what did I get myself into?" <laughs> I, I, I'm probably ruining <laughs> my one, one star right reviews <laughs> piling up. You're not going to be able to get anyone to pick you up by Saturday morning. I've probably been ruining my Uber uh, rating over the past uh, week or so. So uh, anyway, so here's the point I was trying to make. Um, Duke Little Rock plays in the first round, all right? Uh, Duke wins the game. Next day, it's just a hypothetical, but it's not outrageous. Next day, Little Rock's leading scorer tests positive for coronavirus. Every Duke player was in contact with this player. Do we now quarantine Duke team? Right. Like where where are we at with this? By the way, we we've acknowledged uh, a, a college athlete at that age is is probably going to be okay. Duke's coach is seventy three years old. He went through a handshake line, mm-hmm. presumably shook this player's hand. Are we now going to quarantine Mike <laughs> I mean, th- this was a point Walken made, and I agree it's extreme, but it's not outrageous right now. We play the first and second rounds um, next Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And a player on a Sweet 16 team or two tests positive for coronavirus. What do we do now? I mean, it's a, re- it's a reasonable question to ask. Defense, basically, <laughs> is your answer. Come on, Duke. Come on, Duke. You know, it's, it's a hell of a deal. Yeah, let's think of a different virus. Yeah, I got gotcha. uh, it's a, it's a, it's a It's a real concern. And if we were to get to that point, yes, it would be – calamitous no doubt about it but we got to get to that point and only if we got to that point would we see the threat of actually um i don't even i I don't even know how it would work like it's a shame unc's not even unc's gonna have to run the table because at least it's got a jv team like unc's the only school that actually can pull some pull some dudes up and maybe even get a get a squad on the floor in a situation like that but um i don't think we'll get there obviously it's possible and clearly, you know, teams, campuses, there need to be frequent screenings of, with this. So you're not allowing a situation where a game can get played and, you know, two hours, four hours, six hours before it's played, you haven't had everyone on the team tested. You see what I'm saying? Um, I apologize for almost coughing to death on the podcast. I, under normal circumstances, we would have stopped recording and gone back no, and just no, no. Yeah, picked that's, up. Yeah. But I, I want people to take what's happening in this country seriously right now. And if that requires me nearly dying while recording a podcast in the middle of the night, then then that's what it requires. Want to get to some auto bids here? I do want to get to some auto bids here. A handful of auto bids have been given out over the past few nights. We'll get into that next. But first, let me tell you about Coors Light. Do you ever feel you're always on, just never relaxing? I know I do, and it's no way to live. It's important to turn off every once in a while. Coors Light 
It's perfect for that. That's Coors Light Mountain Cold Refreshment made to chill. There's only one beer literally made to chill. That's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. As the summer months draw closer, you're going to want cold refreshments. Coors Light is perfect for that. It's brewed with a three-step cold process, cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. Born in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado in 1978, Coors Light is refreshing, crisp, and only 102 calories, and that's why Coors Light is the beer I choose when I need a moment to chill. You should choose it, too. So when you want to reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. That's Coors Light Mountain Cold Refreshment, just 102 calories. And always remember, celebrate responsibly. That's Coors Light, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. So a handful of auto bids have been given out over the past few days. Norlander, let me pop through them. You tell me what stands out. On Sunday, Bradley got the Missouri Valley automatic bid. Winthrop got the Big South automatic bid. Liberty got the A-Sun automatic bid. Then on Monday, East Tennessee State got the Southern Conference automatic bid. And on Tuesday, Yale was given, handed, the Ivy League's automatic bid. Gonzaga got the WCC automatic bid. Northern Kentucky got the Horizon League automatic bid. Robert Morris got the NEC automatic bid. North Dakota State got the Summit League automatic bid. And I was on the sideline to watch Hofstra get the CAA automatic bid. Congrats to everybody, obviously. Norlander, what are your favorite things from that list of NCAA bid winners? Well, a couple things that stand out is we've got a lot of one seeds that have been, not all of them, but we've got plenty uh, that have been able to, to stick it out. Hofstra, Liberty, Gonzaga, ETSU, Belmont, uh, North Dakota State, I think Northern Kentucky was a two because Wright State was the one. Bobby Moe was the one there. Um, so in Yale, by by default, uh, also also the one there. So we are at 11, maybe 12 auto bids right now. And we will have only the Patriot League on Wednesday, then nothing Thursday and Friday in terms of auto bids. And then Saturdays when just the onslaught, like it'll be the America East first, and we'll get to the Vermont Catamounts in just a few here, um, and then on and on and on. As for what we've seen here, I do think that Hofstra is a genuine Cinderella candidate. I think that is definitely a team you should be looking out for that can certainly make some noise, and they looked I, – I was – I'm thrilled for Joe Mahalik to to get that win finally. Hofstra has been a good team in recent seasons. It's had some tough losses in the CAA title game, but Mahalik has won 20, 24, 19, 27, and 26 games in five of the past seven seasons. Finally gets there. The first Hofstra coach to get there since... Jay Wright. There we go. 2001. Jay Wright. His you, finals. Act like, you act like I'm not the sideline reporter for the CAA tournament semifinals and finals. You act like you are cheating on the A-10 by going to the CAA semifinals and finals. Like, what the hell are you doing? Just do what I'm told, man. Okay. Just do what I'm told. Uh, the A-10's not going to be happy. Just, uh, I mean, just letting you know. You know, I, you know I love the A-10, but I love the CAA, too. I love Joe Mahalik. I was, listen, um, I love Bill Cohen. You don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not rooting against anybody, but once the game is decided and this team won... I liked seeing Joe get that moment. He is genuinely, and it was nice to see some of this on Twitter because I never know if my opinion of somebody is just based on, you know, my interactions with this person. So I'm like a big Joe Mahalik fan because I just find him to be like the most laid back, nicest guy in the world. And I saw you tweet something positive about him. I saw Nicole, Nicole, Nicole our back tweet something positive about him. It seems that Joe. Um, is just as cool with everybody as he is with me. 
And so I, I enjoy watching people like that, you know, reach what it is they're after. And to be the now coach who got Hoster to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2001, that, that's an awesome thing. And I don't know if you saw it on uh, Monday night. I did a postgame interview with Eli Pemberton, who is Hoster's second leading scorer for the second consecutive year. And he had a big game Monday night. Uh, played well again Tuesday, and he had been playing well for an extended period of time, so he was the obvious person for the post-game interview. And I just asked a very normal, basic sideline reporter question in the post-game. I said, you're now one win away from you know, going to the NCAA tournament for the first time in your college career. You know, What would that mean to you? And he like legit got choked up. Yeah. Um, and and you know, just was like, it would mean everything, and we're going to go out and earn it. And immediately you go, okay, I want that guy to win because, you, you know, you, th- these young people, they do grow up on some level dreaming of going to the NCAA tournament. And the second you enroll at a place like Hofstra, the truth is you're going to have four chances to do it. And it's going to be in the CAA tournament in your freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year. There's no other route. There's no other way to get there. And they had been close. You know, they were in the title game as the one seed last season as well. And what you realize is this guy's about to play, and Desir Bowie as well, about to play their last, uh, about to play in the title game, and it's a forty-minute game. It's their last opportunity to secure a bid to the NCAA tournament. It means the world to them, and I really do think it's why, like, you'll be at the Big East title game, I, I guess, or wherever. But like, we've all been to all of these mm. ACC title games, Big Twelve title games, SEC title games, and. They're fun. They're like it's cool, but basically you've got two teams. Usually, almost without exception, you got two teams playing. Uh, the winners going to the NCAA tournament. The losers going to the NCAA tournament. Nobody walks out of the building devastated. When you're at a CAA tournament final, the, the or a, a Southern Conference tournament final, a one bid league or a traditional one bid league, somebody is leaving that building devastated, and somebody is leaving that building having just won a game that allowed him to reach a dream. And the stakes are so high. And I, I really enjoy doing this. I've done it the past two years. And it was really nice to see not just the Hofstra coaching staff and the players, but those fans who were there really get to enjoy this moment. It had been a long time since they enjoyed a similar moment. And for these players, they had literally never experienced anything like it. Yeah, Hofstra's closest brush with getting into the tournament, um, some will remember – that there was a lot of controversy about Hofstra not making the 2006 tournament, George Mason making it. Hofstra was believed to be the team that was left out or swapped for Mason. Mason goes on to make the Final Four, and and really it just kickstarts a revolution in terms of uh, small conference schools being able to do that. Um, but prior to that, it was 2001 with Jay Wright. So shouts, by the way, in order to Speedy Claxton. Charles Jenkins. I did always appreciate the Flying Dutchman name. I never actually found out why they got rid of the Flying Dutchman name. I, 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 I don't understand why that might be uh, seen as inappropriate. Um, you're Dutch and you get to fly. I think that actually sounds like the ideal kind of life there. So shouts to the pride and the former Flying Dutchman. There, there has long been a site uh, that has covered Hofstra uh, called Defiantly Dutch, and they have uh, they are well overdue. Um, just a quick other sh- couple shouts here. Robert Morris, Andy Toole gets back for the first time in five years. Shouts to Velton Jones, former Bobby Moe player, Northern Kentucky. We're going to shouts to Drew McDonald, NKU getting in in the first season under Darren Horn. 
Good job there for the Norse after Wright State was shocked by US, UIC earlier in that tournament. Uh, North Dakota State, we're going to shout to Ben Woodside, who was there back in the day when Saul Phillips had things going there. And uh, you'll have the Bison back into the field. Uh, big time credit to, to all those teams. I do like Hofstra the most of the ones we've talked about in terms of being potential Cinderella, but the beauty of March is... Sometimes it could be one of the teams I just mentioned. You just don't you don't see it coming, and they pull off a they pull off an upset either way. But uh, that's some of the stuff that stood out to me as we build slowly but surely we build that bracket, regardless of uh, if fans are going to be in the building or not. Two things I feel like I need to tell you. One, Speedy Claxton is on staff at Hoster. Yes, I th- I think I I knew that. Yes, just an all time awesome fun player to watch. Like just classic. I think he was drafted too. I want to say he got picked. Uh, the second thing I think I need to let you know. Um, I believe the Flying Dutchman is a sex act. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's twelve. I, I I could describe it straight from Urban Dictionary. <laughs> Don't feel like I should, so I won't. But I'm, I'm confident <laughs> okay. that, that has to be among the reasons they're no longer the Flying Dutchman because it's <laughs> okay. sex act. <laughs> what? Google it right now no. and read it. No. Google it right no. now and read it to yourself. Everybody, if you listen to the podcast, just stop what you're doing. <laughs> We're not going to read this out loud. Because there are children sometimes in the car, or perhaps even children listening. Yeah, it's too late. It's too late for them at this point. But everybody, point. stop. Let's just stop for the next 60 seconds, and let's all Google Flying Dutchman. <laughs> See what pops up. Norlander, I want you to read this. I can't. By the way, two quick things. One, I had, I'll, I'll protect the identity of the coach, but I had a coach <laughs> tell me it has nothing to do with the Flying Dutchman. I had a coach tell me that – a recent episode literally almost caused him to drive off the road because he was laughing so hard at the <laughs> podcast. And two, when you meant <laughs> there was a review, it's not a good review. It might have even been a one-star review, but someone gets legitimately angry in our Apple podcast reviews. I want to say they like I can't remember. It's, they got an issue with you bringing up premarital sex on the podcast, <laughs> or they got a problem with you being pro premarital sex. It's it's actually unintentionally really funny. It's, it's well, I, I, let me let me be clear. I've got a problem with them being anti premarital <laughs> sex. I think it is way more normal to be pro premarital sex than anti premarital sex. I don't disagree with you uh, whatsoever. But that was something that I had come across recently, which I just found to be so. If I ever get divorced, I'm a, I can't wait to have premarital sex again. That would that would technically be. Po- Post-marital and premarital sex. How good would that be? Think about that for a second. Uh, I, I, I can't, but because um, I don't want to. Oh, here it is. Here it is. I got it right here real quick here. Just a little. Pre- okay. it's first read it to yourself. It, it's a, or if you feel comfortable, read it out loud. He goes. <laughs> it's a long review. I'm skipping most of it. He goes. Oh, I thought you were looking at Flying Dutchman. No shot. <laughs> this review goes, lastly, the only reason I give it three stars instead of four is that Matt and Gary don't allow me to listen to them when I have my kids in the car. A little rough language, not bad, but not necessary either. Plus, promoting premarital sex is very unfortunate. Okay. Oh, shut up, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Can't wait the guys' kids start having premarital sex. Uh, you know what's going to happen. It's, <laughs> always, it's always those parents whose kids are the wildest. Uh, not I knew a girl in high school, her parents were the strictest. She's the one you could get to sneak out the window any night you want. 
Sounds like a plan, my man. Anything else about these auto bits stick out to you? <laughs> I love that you were like, I'm not sure why they're not the flying Dutch. I anymore. had no idea. I just, did, you know what? Blind spot. My, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the L on that. That was my bad. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, East Tennessee State used to be called the 69ers. I'm not sure why they changed that back in '98. '98. <laughs> The East Tennessee State 69ers. The East Tennessee State 69ers. I'm, I just I don't really understand why they would not be want to be called the 69ers anymore. It's not the same. It's not the same. It's not common knowledge. Not common knowledge. Oh, oh gosh. This is – it's late. This made it worth it. It, it really – it really – it really. Well, how about on East Tennessee State – Steve Forbes leads the program formerly known as the 69ers to a 30 and 4 record. They went 16 and 2 in the league. He's in the NCAA tournament for the second time in the past 4 years. Updated record through this moment, 130 and 43 in 5 years. Shouts to Forbes. Um Gonzaga, like you know, we shouldn't look past that. Um they've won 7 of the past 8 WCC tournaments, beat St. Mary's on Tuesday night. Mark Few is now officially in the NCAA tournament. For the 21st time in 21 seasons as a head coach. And by the way, I tweeted this. I'm confident you agree. Kansas and Gonzaga locked in number one seeds no matter what. Yes, Kansas is the number one overall seed. And Gonzaga now has a compelling case to be the number two. But that's an Im- immaterial. They're going to be number one in the West. And so, go- so it goes. Yeah. yeah, and then Darren Horn gets Northern, uh, gets uh, uh, the Norse. The Norse. The Norse. Shouts, as gets, a Norlander, shouts to the Norse. No doubt about it. Gets the Norse into the NCAA tournament in his first year. Um you know, um, you know, returning as a head coach after being on Shaka Smart staff at at Texas. So so that's awesome. And uh, Brian Wardle uh, keeping the Bradley brand strong. That's two straight NCAA tournaments for him. Indeed. Andy Tools got Robert Morris back in the tournament for the first time since 2015. That might be the one school where their biggest achievement is actually outside of the NCAA tournament and not inside the NCAA tournament. When you think of Robert Morris yeah. under Andy, at least you think of an NIT win as opposed to any time. They You're made right. the NCAA tournament, so that's kind of unusual. You are, you are, uh, you are right. And uh, but Bobby Moe is back in out of the NEC, and um, yeah, not incorrect. Um, Shouts to Dave Richmond and North Dakota State, by the way. I, I, I mentioned Hofstra. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bison are um, another team that's in line to maybe do some damage there. But yeah, man, this is the, this is the good stuff here, and we still got plenty more small uh, small conference teams that are going to get a chance to punch the, those tickets, including the Patriot League on Wednesday night. All right, Norlander, uh, you wrote a nice story about Anthony Lamb and his mental health struggles um, earlier on Tuesday. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So Norlander, you wrote a terrific story about Vermont star Anthony Lamb. He has been flourishing on the court. That's what most of us see. Um, he's been struggling away from the court. Mm-hmm. That's what he opened up to you about. It, it's your story. Um, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, so I I hadn't sat down with – Anthony Lamb is – Vermont's had some really good players. Shouts to Taylor Coppenmouth, TJ Sorrentine, Marquis Blakely, among some others. But Anthony Lamb has developed into, I think, the most – the player with the highest potential and likelihood of actually making and landing on an NBA roster. We'll see if it happens or if it doesn't. If it doesn't, I think he's going to earn an incredible paycheck playing uh, anywhere he wants, uh, essentially outside the NBA for a long, long time. He's got a great skill set, and he's, he's come a long way. Um, but I sat down with Anthony back in November, and we wound up having... The, the, the interview was not initially supposed to be about all of this stuff, but... Um, he had said some things, and I and I followed up with it, and then he started talking about um, his depression and issues he had had, and then he really started to open up. Uh, so there is a there's a feature story, and I uh, listen. It actually has some uplifting parts to it, but it is it is a tough story to read. It opens with a scene um, from from Anthony's junior season in which he contemplates jumping off a bridge and killing himself. Okay. And when he does that, no one even knows where he is. Uh, he is in Washington, D.C., uh, on the Key Bridge, which is actually a historic bridge um, that connects one part of the city to Georgetown's campus. And he doesn't do it, which is the most important thing. But he he became a rare example of an active college athlete. And on top of that, like one of the 50 best players in the sport, really. Like a fantastic all-time Vermont catamount. They won against UMBC on Tuesday night. They're one win away in the America East title game on Saturday against Hartford. That always awesome brunch auto bid, as we as we call it, in the, in the America East, um, of getting to Vermont to three NCAA tournaments in four seasons. And it has not been easy for him. Um, I won't go into the entire story because I would like you, if you could, please, please go, go read it because this kid is unbelievable, man. Like, he was... More honest, vulnerable, forthcoming, and I did not have to necessarily, like, I asked him questions, but I did not have to pry things out of him. He was willing to share so much of what he had gone through, and there there are so many quotes that I wanted to put in the story, but at a certain point, you got to self-edit. I mean, he just, it was unbelievable. If, if you would have just, if I could play you the two interviews I've had with him, the stuff that he goes into and why, and losing his motivation, you know, he was born with uh, without his biological father around. Quick, you know, in, in a nutshell, his mother got pregnant with him when she was 16 and she lived in Florida. She had an inconsistent relationship with her father because her mother had killed herself eight years before. The father tried to give her and her sisters up for adoption. He said, if you don't, and, and if you don't abort the baby, you can't live here. She wasn't going to abort the baby. She moves all the way up to Rochester, New York to live with her aunt, her late mother's sister. 
Anthony is born there. And he, until he's about seven, thinks that uh, his younger uh, half-brother, uh, his father is his father. Now, the half-brother's white, uh, his mom is white, and Anthony's biological father is black. And um, his stepfather was also white, but he eventually realizes that's not the case. And so um, he's isolated a lot. He probably goes through a lot of depression and doesn't even realize it. He was chubby at one point, and eventually he was six feet tall by the time he was 11. And he, he wound up just playing up, like two years, three years up. He had a real pa uh, passion and talent for, for basketball. And eventually, and the de story will detail it more. I'm not going to spoil it here. But he does meet his biological father when he's 18 years old, already enrolled at Vermont, and in a hotel room in Florida. Circumstances around that are, are pretty remarkable. And so... That was a good thing, but it also twisted him because for so long he was playing – like he didn't really have anger for the dad who wasn't there. He didn't know why his dad wasn't there. He was He's not a confrontational person, but it was a big motivator for him to kind of play for the invisible man. And then he meets his father, and they instantly connect. Like it's a really good thing. Anthony kind of has – he dictates how the relationship is. The dad is happy to be in contact, but he's not going to overstep his bounds. He's got his own children. He lives in Florida. And uh, he starts basically questioning, you know, why he's even alive, why he wants to play basketball. Um, certain things about college life wind up just piling on him and piling on him. Then he breaks his foot as a sophomore. Vermont stays like atop the America East. And so it, it takes some of his self-worth away. And yeah, it's a, it is a story of, of some redemption, but um, there is no like ending to the story, and that's the good part. Like that, there is no ending to this. He's still working toward this, and I just I can't compliment him enough for being willing to speak to this because he's a super talented player, an amazing person, and we have had an uptick of college players and college athletes taking time away from playing because of mental health issues. I have even had conversations on background, not for the purpose of putting on the record, with coaches who have dealt with defections or near defections. And those cases haven't been made public yet. But as we evolve as a society, and Vermont's way ahead of the curve, it has this wonderful psychologist embedded with the team, full-time position. His name is Ari Shapiro Miller. He is fantastic, and he has been a huge part, as has John Becker, who's done an amazing job there. And the story details a lot of Anthony's path, a lot of the downs, why he has been able to bring himself back. But it's not like he went through this and he's good. No, he he had, he had like a – I talked to him in November. He had like a significant swoon in January. He said – and this part's not in the story, but he said – and that was what happens around my birthday. It always happens around my birthday. Like, I don't know why. It's just, you know, my birthday gets me way down. And I was in a serious funk. Now, he's been good for five to six, seven weeks now. And he thinks that he can still be good going forward. But the biggest thing was him talking about it, verbalizing it to me, to his coach, to his mom, to his friends. That is something that he never did for the longest time. And this is actually helping him. So it is uh, what I hope is a, an affecting read for anyone out there particularly college athletes. Like I sent the story to a few coaches that I know have players who are having issues right now. And I hope that they can read it and it can get them some level of comfort to at least, you know, move themselves along. And um, thanks for letting me just spend a few minutes talking about the story. Cause I've been living with it for like three and a half, four months. I know I referenced it uh, vaguely on a podcast about um, a month and a month and a half ago when we were talking about DJ Carton, but uh, of Ohio state who has stepped away. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's basically it. There, there, there's plenty there that I didn't touch on. It's it's in the story. And if you f- do find the time, please, uh, for Anthony, his sake, his mother's sake, that team's sake, just uh, give it a read so you can understand what he's going through and how often some of these great players, what they go through, and you and you never really know unless they're comfortable telling their stories. And thankfully, Anthony was. Yeah, I um, uh, the the most important thing of the story, I, I think, is that this is a successful person by any measuring stick struggling because it's another example of exactly that. And so often I I think we as a society are better now, but still not across the board. So often people say things like, well, that person's rich. That person's famous. That person's successful. Why would that person be struggling? Why is that person not happy? Why is that person literally contemplating jumping off of a bridge? And the, the truth is none of that stuff um, is, is the type of stuff that can prevent you from struggling if, you know, if your mind's not working the right way. And you know, for Anthony to be willing to share a story with you, I, think it can, I hope it can help some other people. A, realize that if they're feeling that way, they're not alone. And if they're feeling that way, even people who – are operating in an incredibly positive way, can feel the exact same way. Here's a young man who is an incredible college basketball player. He's going to make a living playing basketball if he wants to. Um, he's probably, I would assume, um, the most high-profile student-athlete on his campus. Yeah. This type of thing all of us dream about when we're a kid. And he's really got it, and yet he's still, he's still struggling in a variety of ways. And I, I, I also appreciated that he didn't try to pretend everything's behind him. You know, he still has good days and bad days. Most people who struggle do. And I just thought it was really impressive of him to go into that detail. And as I'm reading the story beyond that, it's just like, I'm like, oh, man, I feel sick for this young man. And then it's like, oh, and by the way, um, his mother had him when she was 16. He's the byproduct of a one-night stand. Mm-hmm. And the mother was spiraling at the time because her mother committed suicide. It's like, Jesus, Lord. And then it's like, and then the, the, um, you know, the, his grandma, so Anthony's grandmother's, uh, commits suicide. She's gone. Anthony's grandfather no longer wants Anthony's mother. It's like, that's awful. I mean, you can sort of see how this stuff trickles from one generation to the next. If you don't think, um, your parents have an impact on you or you won't have an impact on your children, you are out of your mind. Um, and I shouldn't throw that phrase around the way I just did, but you, you know the point I was, I was trying to make. Um, and then it's like he never knew his father. And it was really nice to hear that he and his father have connected in a real way because I do think um, there's a the big difference between meeting your father when you're 18 years old for the first time and he knew you were around the whole time. And then in this case, you're meeting him for the first time, but he didn't even know you existed. Yeah. Uh, it'd be, I think the resentment in any person would be there to some level if you knew your father walked away like, Oh yeah, here's these pictures of you and your dad when you were two, but then he left when you were three and he's never been back. He's never even contacted you. Mm -hmm. You don't know where he is. Like that's a, I would imagine an unbearable thing for some people to deal with. Why did my dad leave me? Was it my fault? Why doesn't my father or mother in some cases want to be a part of my life? Um, The truth with this situation is that the father never knew 
he had this child. And when he did find out, he tried to be um, active in what was no longer a child, but a young adult's life. And I, I think that the father should be commended for that. Some, not every father would. Not every father would. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to know that that's a, a relationship that Anthony now has that he won't have to wonder about anymore because he probably spent a little more than a decade wondering the things I just talked about. Why doesn't my father, why isn't my father here? Who is he? Why doesn't he love me? Why doesn't he want to be a part of my life? At least he got the answers to those questions. He didn't know you existed, but once he found out you existed, he wanted to be a part of your life. So that's all, that's all sweet stuff. But man, we were talking earlier about rooting for the Hofstra players, you know, who, you you know, are going to experience this NCAA tournament for the first time in their lives and last opportunity in some cases for them to do it. Man, if you don't root for Anthony Lamb, both personally and on the court, something's wrong with you because he's got an incredible story. He's overcome incredible things. And for him to be willing to share it and for you to take the time to to tell it the way you did. I mean, I don't know how many words it is, but I know it takes you a long time to read it. And given that this is a busy time of the year for all of us, for you to, you know, sit down and, and you know, actually get that done, that's also, you know, shouts to you. Well, thanks. Um, keep that in mind when you uh, when you watch Vermont Saturday, and then yeah, if they can get back to the tournament, um, you know, it's uh, they they got a chance here. They're 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 a good team certainly, and um, yeah, it's on the CBS Sports app, cbsports.com. Just uh, give it a look if you can. Powerful stuff from that young man, and you cannot help uh, but root for him and uh, and anyone else that might be you know privately and quietly uh, going through what he's going through. All right, GP, let's uh, let's wrap up the pod here with. With the as usual, this is a long pod and it's late, Woo. but we got it. So let's let's let's. What do you got in the mailbag here? What what have we selected for this week? Okay, I pulled three questions from Apple Podcasts, and questions number one. Question number one comes from a Kansas fan. This Kansas fan wants to know what kind of NCAA punish, punishment uh, KU fans should expect. Now, this person acknowledges that he thinks they're going to have to vacate the Final Four, and that Bill Self is going to serve. You know, he's assuming, hoping perhaps a 12 game suspension and that there will be some scholarship reductions, but he's holding out hope that there will be no postseason ban. Do you think this Kansas fan is going to be disappointed by the NCAA administering a postseason ban? I do, and I'll save too much time waxing on this because it's late, it's long, and I know we're going to be talking about this in the in the off season on the pod. But I do think he will be disappointed. My expectation, and it is not just my expectation; it is the expectation of many people in the industry, is that Kansas will indeed be handed a postseason ban for next season when the NCAA's Committee on Infractions or its separate uh, outside governing body, depending on who looks at this, uh, makes its decision later this year. The uh, I, I've I for a while believe the only punishments the NCAA administers that have real teeth are show causes, suspensions, and postseason bans. Like the the vacating a Final Four hurts, but it doesn't hurt you going forward. Mm-hmm. And scholarship reductions they do matter, but you know everybody gets thirteen scholarships. Um, if you only have ten, you can still put together an incredible basketball team, and so. If you're really trying to make somebody pay for their NCAA sins, um, it, it needs to involve suspension, postseason ban. And that's why I do think the NCAA is going to uh, suspend Bill Self eventually and also um, you know, hand out a postseason ban. Uh, my prediction would be this, that Kansas will enter the 2020 NCAA tournament as the favorite and will eventually be banned from the 2021 NCAA tournament. 
but we'll see. Question number two comes from a Xavier fan named Trish. And I'm assuming Trish is a woman. And if so, she says she runs about 80 miles a week. That's impressive. She uses our podcast to pass the time. And she wants to know if Xavier can justify firing Travis Steele after just two seasons. She's basically, she just had enough. Now, I didn't even realize Xavier fans had turned on Travis. Like, were you aware that there was this anti-Travis Steele Xavier fan base? I was not aware that that Xavier's gone full Maryland here. I was unaware of that. And by the way, like, you know, should be making the tournament. Well, well can't lose to DePaul on Wednesday. So uh, if that does happen, perhaps this woman has a, has a valid point. But continue. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize that this existed. Um, they are right now nineteen and twelve, eight and ten in the Big East, forty third at Ken Palm. You know, right there on the bubble. I mean, I, I don't know if just beating DePaul gets them in, but obviously losing DePaul, that'd be you don't want to do that. I mean, you don't want to do that under any circumstances, but especially uh, these circumstances. I guess I would say this: um, year two still has a chance to make the NCAA tournament. Forty third at Ken Palm, forty fifth at the net. It might feel disappointing, but the team's not that bad. And they got the 17th-ranked recruiting class in the country, you know, ready to enroll. Three top 130 prospects, among them a top 50 player. So, um, yeah, no, I guess that's my answer to Trisha's question. No, you can't justify no. firing Travis Steele uh, after two seasons. Like, I, I understand that when you had it operating where it was under Chris Mack, that you want that to continue without interruption. Uh, that was always going to be a, a difficult thing. Um, but you're, you're still respectable in a very strong league and still got a chance to make the NCAA tournament. And whether you do or don't, you've got what is currently the second-best recruiting class in the Big East set to enroll. That's good stuff. Keep Travis Steele. I would. Wouldn't you? I would, yes. Okay, Okay. we agree. Trish. Come on, down. Trish. Calm down, Trish. We appreciate you listening to the podcast while you're running. You got to give Travis Steele just a little, a little more patience. He's going to get that thing figured out. Knees up, knees up. Let's go. Running on with uh, knees up. Here we go. Knees up. Question number three comes from Rob S in Chicago, and what Rob wants to know is how young. um, He wants to know how young I think I could convince a stranger. You are. I love this question. I read this. Yes. And how old you think you could convince a stranger I am? This is a great question. This how is, old are you in real life? This is, as opposed to fake life? Yes. I, I, I'm different ages in real life and fake life. <laughs> okay. First of all, this, know, is, this is a top five question we've had so far this season. Um, I'm 38. Okay. So how young do you think I could, you could convince someone I am and, and actually convince them? What do you think? What, think what's I my could, floor? I think I, I think I could convince somebody you're still in your twenties. Oh, easily, dude. Yeah, but like, it's got to be more specific. Like, can I get twenty-eight? Twenty-eight. Right, so I can't. So I, I'm not hitting twenty-seven at this point. I mean, I don't know. I'm bad at like telling how old people are. I think I can pull off twenty-seven. Now, yeah, like if if somebody said Matt just got out of grad school, I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. All right, there we go. Uh, yeah, that's something that I definitely. Like dealt with my whole life, but it, but it's cool. I'm hoping when I'm like 54, I'm I'm still rocking like a 41 year old look, and we'll we'll roll with it. Um, you on the other hand, <laughs> we got we got issues here. Um, I've lived a hard life. You have lived a hard life. If I'm with someone, we should try this at the Final Four, provided we can even run into one person in Atlanta. If we if we can do that. By the way, GP is coughing, but he's muting himself, which is unfortunate because I think the listeners would have wanted to hear you hack up another lung. Um, I've been this entire entire thing 
So I'm 38. Parrish is 47. I think that I could I'm actually. Con- First off, at least at least start at the right. I'm 43 years old. That's fake life. I understand. I think that That's I could real convince. Life. Born in 1977. You've you've memorized it well. I think that I can convince a stranger. I was born night. I was born seven months earlier, in the exact same hospital, where Elvis Aaron Presley died. Where he died. Yeah, I was born in the same hospital where Elvis Aaron Presley died. All right, fair enough. Seven months before him. I'd say, realistically, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be fair to you. First of all, it depends on the hour, obviously. After one a.m. Yeah, I, I can certainly, you know, the 9 p.m. show is a lot different than the 1 a.m. show with Gary Parrish. That's no doubt about it. I'd say 49. I, I don't think I can get you to 50. Yeah, I don't think I can get you to 50. I don't think so. The neck-to-waist ratio throws it, you know, as into a, a potential possibility, but I think, you're, I think your ceiling's 49. So, yeah, you could be 49 and I could be 27. We make a hell of a podcast duo. As long as I can stay in my 40s, I'll, I'll accept that at this point. I, I hope people understand the toll it takes on the aging process to rank 26 basketball teams every morning. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, you see it all the time. Like John Calipari <laughs> talks about, you know, look at what coaching at Kentucky does to me. And Barack Obama would be like, look at what being the president does. It's same, same thing, coaching at Kentucky, being president of the United States, ranking 26 basketball teams every morning. All takes a similar toll on you podcasting deep into the night as well my bud let's uh let's wrap this up get this out to the masses hope everyone's enjoyed this on a wednesday and as news necessitates we'll be back for you but it's gonna be a crazy couple of days here so we'll get another podcast to you uh when we can we just can't tell you specifically when that's going to be because i don't know where i'm going to be gp doesn't know where he's going to be but when you need it we'll have it for you Patriot League final is Wednesday night on CBS Sports Network. Uh, that's Boston University against Colgate. Who you got in Orlando? Boston University or Colgate? Oh, I got I got Colgate. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, you're a big, you're a big Matt Langle fan. I almost I, I almost just said shouts to Matt Langle. Yes, I got I got the Raiders there getting to the tournament for the second straight season. Can I take Joe Jones in Boston University? You certainly can. The Jones brothers, if that happened, would both be in the NCAA tournament. Love the Jones brothers. There you go. You always have. I I, I really have always have loved the Jones brothers. So uh, I'm I'd be perfectly happy to see Joe. I'm not obviously not rooting against Colgate. Uh, by the way, Colgate made it last year, so they'd be uh, in for the second straight year. Yeah, if they I just said there. that 47 seconds ago, but yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm dying from <laughs> coughing. So sometimes I have to mute myself, cough, and I can't hear what you're saying. It's rough on a forty-nine-year-old out there. Woo boy! Woo boy! Can you get through these? So anyway, sh- can you Boston, get through? I was gonna say, can you get through these shouts without coughing? But go ahead, finish what you're gonna say. Boston University and Colgate. That's on CBS Sports Network. A uh, Wednesday night automatic bid is up for grabs. Shouts to Devin Dowdy. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry Mefetigo. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to the Flying Dutchman. Google it, Norlander, before you go to bed, just in case you need it. You don't know. Could add it to your. Could add it nope. to your arsenal. Could add it to your arsenal. All right, boy. Mrs. Norlander wouldn't know what's up. You come in there with the flying Dutchman. All right, that's 
that's enough out of you. Let's get to bed here. Google it. Google it. Please go subscribe to the High on College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. I dare you to Google that. This is not happening. Even talk to your wife about it <laughs> would be the please Google it and then record yourself talking to your wife about it, and we will put that on the podcast. Uh, we'll put, I don't know. We'll about put that, that on CBS Sports HQ. <laughs> okay. <laughs> please go subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. That's all I've ever asked for. We're gonna talk to you again soon. Till then, take care. docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire now streaming on Paramount Plus.